Welcome to the Voices Amplified edition of Radioactive, a takeover of KRCL's Monday Night Airwaves in partnership with Amplify Utah and student journalists at Salt Lake Community College. I'm Marcy Uncancio, Assistant Professor of Journalism and Digital Media at SLCC and Executive Director of the nonprofit Amplify Utah, which aims to boost representative storytelling in local media. We are thrilled to be bringing a new wave of journalists into the conversation, including tonight's host, Ariel Witterberg. Take it away, Ariel. Thanks, Marcy. Hi, I'm Ariel Witterberg with Voices Amplified, recorded on the South City campus at SLCC. Before we dig into our show, we want to acknowledge that we are all collectively on Native American shared territory of the Goshute, Navajo, Paiute, Shoshone, and Ute people. We honor the original ancestors and descendants of this land and also offer respect to their tribal communities. We acknowledge this history to cultivate respect and advocate with our indigenous students and communities who are still connected to this land. We want to thank everyone for tuning in. We have got an amazing show lined up for you tonight. Later on in the show, we'll be speaking with members of BYU's Black Student Union, Black Menaces, who have become viral sensations in Utah for inspiring conversations on race, gender, and sexuality, after which we will talk about SLCC's spring social powwow taking place April 16th with organizer Rockland Merrick. But first, Jody Jones, Associate Professor of Communication at SLCC, board member on Utah's Council on Conflict Resolution and a court-approved mediator for the state of Utah joins to help teach us how to navigate difficult conversations in the age of polarization. Professor Jones, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. Could you take a minute to tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your work as a mediator? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I, my interest in mediation started with looking at victim offender mediation that was occurring at the courts. And subsequently, I completed the certificate program for mediators at the University of Utah. And I completed a master's degree in conflict resolution at the, uh, that's my master's degree. And I've also continued my training through Pepperdine University. And I have been practicing as a mediator since 2006. Most of my cases that I hear domestic in, uh, they're, they're domestic cases. So what that means is like they're about divorce or parenting time. There might be a case about um, property settlement or what to do with grandma because now she takes care of herself. So more of a family mediation. I also volunteer for the juvenile courts doing restorative justice work in a victim offender dialogue program. And what that is, is when a juvenile commits a crime the it's often referred to the mediation process and uh, I'll get a case from them and what I do is I talk to the victim to see if they're interested in meeting face to face with the offender and then if the offender agrees to do that do that they meet face to face and talk about the crime and how to repair the harm and a contract is actually written up and submitted through the courts I also teach um, conflict management courses here at Salt Lake Community College and a restorative justice class at Westminster College. Why in your perspective, if you can answer this, give your opinion, do you believe we've become so polarized in recent years? Yeah, polarization in, in different ways of looking at things have, have happened throughout the ages. It's not something that's new. In fact, I think there is less polarization now than there has been through the ages. If you look at a 
you know, through historical context. But the difference is we're hearing about it more. There, the age of information is so quick through between uh, what you do as a as a journalist and through social media. People are hearing quicker information or hearing information quicker. And a lot of times people choose not to get educated about um, more than one side of an issue. And so that misinformation causes more polarization. And do you think that's the same with demonization of individuals? Has that been around for a long time too? And we're just seeing it more because of social media? Well, I think it's happening in different ways. I mean, people historically, there are people who have been cruel to other people, but it's just occurring in different ways. And, and uh, more prolific, more with people who are younger. And when I say younger, I'm quite old myself. So I mean, people uh, maybe like K through 12, you'll see that more often, um, probably starting maybe like third grade, fourth grade on up through high school, you'll see a lot of people demonizing or being critical of the other. Uh, but beyond school, uh, it can happen in other different ways too. What are some of the biggest obstacles that can occur when you're trying to resolve a conflict? A type of conflict. And conflict, the thing is, conflict isn't something you should be afraid of. Conflict should actually be embraced. When people are in conflict, it signals that, hey, this isn't working, so let's try something else that does work. So being afraid of conflict or, or thinking that conflict is a bad thing uh, is really counterproductive. When people are in conflict, that just shows how much they they care about an issue, whether it's between two intimates or between you know a large body of people. So conflict just signals something's not working. And that is a cue about how we can fix it, whether it's a disagreement between you know maybe a family member or a significant other, a colleague, or maybe even groups between groups of people. So when there's conflict, it's not something that you really should um, be, a, be frightened of. But there are obstacles, as you asked, what gets in right. A lot of times it has to do with people's need to be right. So um, maybe their ego or their pride, they don't want to admit fault or they, want, they don't want to think that something's wrong. Uh, I think in my mediation practice, I see that a lot, especially between couples, when somebody wants validation that right and and someone else isn't willing to look at that there was a case i did one time when um, a mother had been left to take care of five daughters for years and when i say left just that her husband's job took him out of town a lot and throughout the mediation she kept saying i was a good mother well you know i was a good mother well i was a good mother in different ways and, and throughout the mediation he wasn't willing to acknowledge hey, yeah, you did a good job with raising our daughters and I wasn't there a lot. You were a good mother. That conflict would have ended more quickly or it may have been less volatile had he just validated her need to say, yeah, you were a good mother. So a lot of times, you know, people aren't willing to acknowledge the contributions of someone else or somebody wants to be stuck in that need to be right. There's a lot of other things that that happen, you know, people have different ways of dealing with conflict. <clears throat> For instance, minimizing somebody, um, how they see something. If, if you, um, so Ariel, have you ever had an experience where 
maybe you felt strongly about someone something and someone just said oh Ariel it's not that big of a deal yes I have so it, it's it's a way of minimizing you know how you really feel about something so think about that in a small issue like um you know maybe you tell a friend gosh i I broke my leg and they might say, well, that's not a big deal. I broke up my leg and my finger, you know, now they're one upping you, but imagine that in a larger context. So, um, say with racial tension, if someone says, um, my experience is different than yours because I'm a person of color and an answer to that. someone minimizes that, oh, it's not that big of a deal or it should, it's not really that bad. They're minimizing it, A, because maybe they might not be educated in what it's like. Um, so that can cause, that can prevent something from being um, resolved because somebody feels unheard or they feel like you don't get them. So often it's um, minimizing, one-upping someone. Oh, you think that's so bad? Look what happened to me. Or maybe blaming that person. When somebody doesn't want to look bad, they might blame someone else. I would think that the one thing that gets in the way most often and most people go to for not resolving conflict is just avoidance. What do you think about that? Why do you think people avoid conflict? Avoid conflict? I would say probably because they don't want the hassle sometimes. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it can be really hard. Yeah, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. Can you think of other reasons why people avoid conflict? uh they might be uh, they might not like conflict they might not yeah they might be frightened of it yeah. yeah and some people just truly just don't even know how to deal with conflict they don't know how to have those hard conversations and so avoiding it a lot of times it's the person involved and so one of my favorite sayings in with my class is it depends because the context of the conflict really matters deeply so, uh, for instance, when I say context, I mean, who is the person? Who are they to me? Who am I to them? What is it about? Where are we at? So where are we at? So, so for instance, for that, imagine having a conflict in front of other people. And that could be embarrassing, you know? And so your ego's involved, your pride's involved. So where you're at could, could really have a bearing on whether or not you want to jump in and talk about this conflict now or whether you just want to avoid it and people avoid it in different ways the silent treatment or just ignoring that something actually happened different reasons and why ways that people avoid conflict and do you think that um misinformation has anything to do with that like people getting um information that might not be true absolutely I mentioned earlier, just having a really good sound education of, of what it's like to be in the other person's shoes. You know, maybe they, they're making a judgment off of limited information or only information that they have, and they haven't taken the time to think about or understand or comprehend what it's like for the other person. So instead of uh, resolving conflict at the level of let's both have this conversation, they're just looking at what it's like for them. And are there uh, any strategies or approaches you can share with us that we could take when we're in one of these situations? So let's just 
let's just imagine that you're in a conflict just what, with one other person. And this person is, is important to you. Someone who's significant in your life. You, make, you value the relationship. And that has a huge bearing on how you will resolve conflict. If, if the person's not important to you and the, and the issue's not important to you, then you might as well just go ahead and avoid that conflict. But if the relationship's important to you and the issue's important to you, starting from a position of thinking about what do you want, and that might seem so simplistic, but really, um, do you want to be right or do you want to keep the relationship? Do you want um, a change of behavior? Do you want a change? Maybe you want, maybe it's in a fight with your um, supervisor about, uh, how early you have to be into work. Maybe it's a, a conflict about um, who's going to do what jobs in the household. So thinking about what is it you, if you got everything you wanted, what would that look like? And what do you want? And if you have a really clear picture of that, the next step is what does the other person want? What does the other side want? And why do they want it? And what would it mean for both of you to get what you want? And if you can go from that point of view now you can narrow it down to, is there a way for both of us to get what we want without having to give up something? So it turns into more like brainstorming. There's one skill set that I think is highly important in any um, conversation that's hard. And it's, we call it metacommunication. It's basically communicating about our communication. And what, what that looks like is setting up the scene with the other person. So maybe you might say, I have a different... I have a conversation I need to have with you, but it's not going to be easy. And I'm a little bit nervous about it. Can we talk about how we're going to have this conversation? So before you even have the conversation, you might set up some, let's just call them ground rules or ways of being with each other. So it might look like, let's, um, can we do it at six o'clock and can we do it at the kitchen table? And can we make some, some agreements that we don't talk on top of each other, that we're willing to listen to each other? without interruption. And can we also agree that if things do a few timeouts? So in other words, this meta communication or communicating about how our communication goes, you're kind of setting up the scene, if you will. So you're making sure that it's more comfortable for both of you. You both are, maybe the time of day is a good time for both of you. Maybe you're gonna talk about, let's do it at a restaurant. So there's people around us. And if we get hot under the collar, we're not going to cause a scene, you know, you, you figure out what's best for both of you. And so how can you do this? Now, I've already only talked about this doing with one other people, but you can do this with large groups. How can you have a conversation with a larger group of people so that everybody feels heard? And what will that look like? And how will we do that? So setting, setting it up beforehand. Now, if you think that might sound difficult, think about the problems it solves. If you're too angry and you're too upset to have a calm conversation, saying, let's do a timeout, we're both too angry to talk about this, or we're, we're both too emotional, let's figure out a date, time, and place where we can do this in a way that serves us both, that we can both have time to think about it before we come together. So even if a decision has to be made quickly, you can do kind of a timeout and say, Let's just take a breath. Let's both of us go get a drink of water, go to the bathroom, and let's come back and, and take a deep breath and let's be more calm about this. So even in, in the moment, you can do a little bit of this. Okay, well, that's, I just have one more question for you before we let you go, and that's how, uh, how do we respectfully disagree? 
Oh, that's interesting. So a lot of times when people have disagreements and, and you've heard that saying, let's just agree to disagree. To come from a place of, of the, looking at the intent of the other person. If you assuming bad intent or negative intent of the other person, that's not going to come off well. Start from a standpoint that this person has good intentions. We don't see these issues the same, but look at the personhood or the humanity of the other person. So you're listening not with an agenda to change their mind or see your point of view, but listening to understand them better. I think another thing would be helpful is to have a better understanding of what it's like to be them or why they believe the way they believe. What are their life experiences that brought them to those? And so why not ask them? I can you like, for instance, you might say, I can see that we don't agree on this. Can you tell me what experiences you have had that inform the way you believe? Because I'd like to understand it better. And then sit back and listen with an open heart, not with um, an agenda of changing their mind or changing their, their behavior. And I think it would also be helpful if you knew in advance that you're going to have a conversation with someone who had completely different ideology from you or had completely uh, different mindset. I think it would be wise and important to inform yourself of what, uh, what it's like to be that person. For instance, maybe it might be a highly polarized issue and it would be important to, to see what the point of view are, is of people who have that other point of view than you. So education can go a long way for understanding. It doesn't mean you have to change what your beliefs, your values, your morals, but you have an understanding of how the other person believes and feels. And I think listening for understanding is a very respectful way of being. So if you're going to disagree respectfully, you need to do it in a way that you really truly understand the other side, not in a flippant way that, well, we just don't see the same item same issue the same way. Well, I'd like to thank our guest, Professor Jody Jones, for coming on to discuss how we can handle some of the different con difficult conversations we're having. Jody, what, what's a song you've been listening to lately? Well, what about the Beatles? We the can Beatles. work it out. Have you heard that one? I haven't heard that one, actually. <laughs> This is the one we're talking about when we're talking about conflict and, and resolving things. Let's get that song on for you, Professor. It's the Beatles. We can work it out on a Voices Amplified edition of Radioactive. Salt Lake Community College's American Indian Student Leadership presents its Spring Social Powwow Saturday, April 16th, from 12 to 10 p.m. at the Taylorsville campus at 4600 South Redwood Road. For more details, visit the events page of krcl.org. KRCL's annual record and CD sale will be making its triumphant return in 2022. We're planning something special, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, we'll be taking donations of your gently used, tremendously loved, but slightly neglected records and CDs. If you can let go, we can make sure those treasures get their way to the next music lover in line. Donations are tax deductible and will help power your community radio station, 90.9 FM, KRCL. If you'd like to donate, reach out to me, Eric P. Nelson, at recordsale at krcl.org for details. See you soon. 
Hello, and welcome back to KRCL's Voices Amplified edition of Radioactive. I'm your host, Ariel Witterberg. We want to thank our listeners for sticking with us as we continue to share diverse stories about people in our communities. The Black Menaces are a group of Brigham Young University students attempting to broaden the debate about race, gender, and other issues through viral videos on TikTok and Instagram. We are joined by members Kylie, Nate, and Rachel. Hey guys, thanks for coming on. Can you introduce yourselves? Yeah, so my name is Nate Bird. I'm a senior at BYU studying psychology. My name is Rachel Weaver. I am also a senior at BYU and I'm studying sociology. And I'm Kylie Shepard. I'm a junior at BYU and I'm also studying psychology. I'm super excited to have you guys here. I've watched your videos and I think what you're doing is awesome. So what was the inspiration for creating the Black Menaces and whose idea was it to start making the videos? Um, so it was it was kind of all of our ideas. Um, it started off just as a joke. You know, we were talking amongst each other and saying, hey, we should make a video about um, our experience at BYU. And we talked about doing it on TikTok and things like that. And then Sebastian, who's actually not here today, um, he was the one that actually made the TikTok account. And then we all sat down, we made a reaction video and um, we started getting some traction on social media and the rest was kind of history. Why'd you create the Black Menaces? I created the Black Menaces to highlight a reality that's hardly ever highlighted at a church institution, but also in just white spaces. Why did you create the Black Menaces? I wanted to create Black Menaces to bring awareness of the experience that Black people have at BYU. <laughs> Why did you create the Black Menaces? Yes, because I deal with all my trauma through humor. It makes it better. Why did you create the Black Menaces? Um, basically because I think humor is the best medicine. I want to poke a little fun at all the problems that we have here at BYU. Why did you create the Black Menaces? Because we want to reform what the word menace means, right? Nobody that ever accomplished any real reform was, uh, was like a hero in the eyes of society, right? If you what are your methods for coming out with the questions you ask in your guys' video? I mean, up to this point, it's kind of just like our own inspiration um, of, based on experiences that we've had as a student, whether that be conversations we've had in classrooms or things we've heard people say, and we are curious the response from the BYU students, or we get inspiration as well from sometimes comments in our TikTok videos, or um, things that we're curious about and want to know. So it's a mix of us wanting to bring awareness to certain topics right of like okay we know that sometimes BYU students are ignorant to this topic and we kind of want to highlight that or we're genuinely curious the response of what people will say. Have you guys had any pushback from the university as it relates to the videos? Um, nothing significant. There's a rumor going around that BYU was making us get permits but that was just a rumor I think that started on Twitter. It's There's no grounds or basis to that. Um, okay. Only thing we've we've heard is that um, you know there have been a few complaints that we're violating like the media and film policy, um, which I guess just you know you're not supposed to film on campus for you know unless it's for class projects or those kinds of things. So we're we're still figuring that part out, but there's no pushback from the university. Do you feel I'll, I'll this for Kylie? Do you guys feel like you have the support of your peers at BYU? Um, I think we do. Like a ton of people do support us. I mean, people come up to us all the time or like will recognize us outside of campus and just say, oh my gosh, like 
we love the work you guys are doing or like go black ministers, anything like that. So I definitely think we have more support than we do haters. I don't know. Most people who don't like us never say stuff. So mm-hmm. or it's kind of hard to tell. No, I think what Kylie said is perfect. Yeah. Okay. The haters are quiet. <laughs> Uh, could you, uh, could each of you share um, what one of your guys' favorite videos is that you made? I've watched a whole bunch of them, and I think mine was probably the Robert E. Lee and the Joseph Smith one. That one was really interesting. So do you guys have a favorite video that you had a lot of fun doing? I think for me, my favorite one is actually not even a question. I think it was, it has to be probably like when we introduce ourselves for the first time or it was like um like our problems that we had I think those ones are just fun because it just like shows like black joy that everything we go through isn't always like hard but sometimes like we can always come together and have fun together so those are probably my two favorite Rachel <laughs> what's your favorite thing about BYU uh I go to school here for free BYU pays me uh Jesse what's your favorite thing about BYU graduation ceremony <gasps> what's your favorite thing about BYU my favorite thing <laughs> my favorite thing is you guys people of color have you guys found it difficult to talk to BYU students about race on campus has there any been has there been any reaction from the honor code office um, no, there hasn't been any, any reaction from the honor code office. Um, outside of the context of black menaces, yes, it is pretty difficult to talk to BYU students about race. Um, there's a lot of, of just ignorance about what we go through and what other minorities go through on campus. And then on top of that, there's a lot of people that, you know, whether it's because they feel insecure or whether it's because um, they feel uncomfortable, they don't want to have those discussions. And so they'll kind of fight against it. Um, or they just don't see a reason to have those discussions. So the Black Menaces has been the most success that we've had talking about those issues. Okay, so the question is, do you believe that institutionalized racism exists? Yeah, I do. Period. <laughs> like at BYU? Just in general. Um, probably, yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that at all? Honestly, I haven't looked into it very much, so I don't know. Sorry, I'm not the most interesting for TikTok. <laughs> no, you're good. Perfect. That's, that's great. Thank you. Cool, yeah. It is possible, yeah. Okay. You wanna- um, I haven't really studied too much on it, but I know that it is a thing that happens and that people do suffer from it. Okay. So, like, it's a possibility, so yes, no. I haven't experienced it myself. Okay, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. I and- mean, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that's what I know. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yes, 100%. Period. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. Period. No hesitation. (laughs) And why is it easier to talk to students in the context of the videos rather than a regular conversation, do you think? Because we don't tell them what the question is beforehand. So you got the element of surprise. So somebody else can add something to that. I'm just going to throw it. And I think based on my experience being at a school like BYU and based on the demographics of where people come from in terms of social class, where they grew up in the United States, in terms of their proximity to BIPOC individuals or marginalized people before they came here. Um, 
very few BYU students are going to volunteer themselves to talk about these topics on their own. And so when we approach them, we aren't approaching it from like a conversational standpoint, to be honest. We are approaching it from a question and answer standpoint. And I feel like that gives us some confidence and some protection and the sense of we know that we are not going to necessarily be in a long conversation with someone, which is safer for us as Black people, I feel like. Um, it gives me some confidence. And I also think that, um, yeah, I feel like we have, we know there's just going to be a question and answer. And sometimes people give us more detailed, um, longer responses that kind of expose their racism or their bigotry. And um, we, yeah, and I find that as a protection just because it's kind of unsafe sometimes because we don't know where people stand or where they're at, which is true when we come and ask them a question, but we do know that it will be cut off at a certain point. And very rarely, I mean, I also only associate with certain people on campus, no offense, I only associate with people in social sciences or um, other BIPOC individuals that I know are educated on these topics. So I personally would never bring this up randomly in like a religion class unless I was expecting to defend myself or other people's existence. And so this kind of goes into our next question, which is like, have you ever been surprised by any of the answers that you've gotten from people? And we'll go each, we'll let each one answer that one. Um, I don't know if I've necessarily been like super surprised. I think if my surprise ever comes, it's more like someone gave an answer. Like, okay, you never want to judge a book by its cover, but there are certain, like we all have our stereotypes. And so sometimes people will have a more modern answer than I would have expected. And so I think that's surprising, but I think it just knowing BYU's campus and just like the population that we're talking to, the not so great answers don't really surprise me. Thank you, Kylie. I'd say the same thing. I'm more surprised when we get answers um, affirming our experience or when we get answers in support of a certain topic because um, those are the ones that I guess are less common. And so I'm usually expecting someone to say something wild or out of pocket. Um, and then when we get a different answer, that's always nice to hear. The question is, due to the controversy surrounding Brigham Young, the person, should the name of Brigham Young University be changed? I don't think so. Why is that? Um, because I think um, it's valuable to remember the good things people do. And mm, all of us do things that we regret. And especially with the perspective of history, it's easy to look back and emphasize the things that seem bad to us now. Um, but he created a legacy that's really valuable and that has a lot of good in it. And so I respect him and his name. Um, I mean, there's, see, I come from a high school where like our mascot is the atomic bomb. So like my opinion on like whether you should change like the title of a school, like, I guess I, I'm familiar with, like, there's two sides to everything. There's people who, like, maybe there's controversy, and then also maybe there's people who are like, this is how it started, let's just keep it for the history. So I just say there's two sides to everything. I am surprised because I don't see that on campus happening. So I'm always very shocked when people in our videos are say things like confirming our experience or and support because I'm like, well, where are you on campus then? Because if this is how you feel, what are you doing about it? It doesn't feel that way as a student. So that's always shocking to me. I also think I am surprised by the by some people's just 
lack of awareness, I think, um, and just realizing how ignorant people are in terms of like when we did the video asking about um, the Supreme Court justice that just was confirmed and no one knew about her. Literally no one, like they were like, oh, I didn't know that. And to me, I felt like that was, like that's not a partisan issue. That's like a national issue that everyone should be aware of like whenever the president nominates someone new. The question is, how do you feel about Joe Biden nominating a black woman to be in the Supreme Court? To be in the Supreme Court, um, I mean, I think that's great. It depends on the qualifications. I don't personally have a lot of knowledge about it, but okay. Oh, so I mean, you didn't know about it? No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. He just nominated her last week. Yeah, I think so. that's great. I mean, if she has the right qualifications, then I don't see why there would be an issue there. So <laughs> yeah, cool. Thank you. Um, well, to me, it really depends what she stands for. If it's something I can support, then I'm totally for it. So, it mean to me, it doesn't matter. Uh, what her gender race is, it just matters what she believes in. Dope, oh, alright, cool, cool, cool. I think that's awesome, honestly. Like, I honestly don't know anything about the situation, but okay. I think, like, diversity really helps, like, any organization to succeed more. So, yeah. Thank you. I think that's super monumental, and I actually love it, and I'm all for it, and literally. International Women's Month. So yes. I think that was a power move. Yes, and I'm yes. really excited to see what she does. So Yes, me too. Mm, good question. I think it's good because it gives a lot of opportunity for more voice to be heard mm -hmm. and more opportunity to I guess for women and for black women like yeah. it's a great opportunity awesome. a good role model too. yeah did you know about it I actually didn't you didn't okay so a lot of people I feel like are knowing about it that's kind of crazy cool really? yeah so I'm always shocked at how little people know about those types of things at BYU which is surprising considering we want to be like good citizens as well like a part of that's like what our church wants us to be as well so Hey, Rachel, for that. Nate, uh, for people who don't know, can you explain what you guys mean by out-of-pocket? Oh, <laughs> um, out-of-pocket just means, um, <laughs> you know, wild or um, uncalled for, uh, reckless, you know, things like that. So if somebody says something that's out-of-pocket, it means it's something that's probably not, it goes against the norm or it's not socially acceptable or, or what have you. And I'd say out-of-pocket is also like out-of-pocket to say to us as well like the confidence to say something that would um, challenge a black person's experience or say something that would, that would basically confirm their ignorance or their, that they don't support marginalized people. And they say with confidence as well. It's like the confidence behind their statement yeah. as well. So like, for example, if you walk into a room full of black people and you say something like, I support the KKK, that would be out of pocket. That's an extreme example. That's like really out of pocket, like, wow. Really pocket. Yeah, well, thank you guys for that. Do you think it would be uh, possible to be doing what you're doing without social media? No. And we'll start with we'll look that to Nate. Uh, well, no, I mean, it, it definitely wouldn't be. Um, we wouldn't have the, the ability to influence like we have, you know. The Black Menace has been great in that it's spread our experience out to people, like, you know, internationally and, and throughout the nation. Um, but the thing is that there have been, you know, people fighting and, and experiencing these same things here at BYU for decades. Um, you know, ever since they started allowing Black people to come here in the first place, it's just never we never had an opportunity to publicize it like we have with uh, social media. So it absolutely wouldn't be possible. 
The only thing I would add to that is social media also is good because we don't have any um, boundaries. We're not like censored as well. Just like with the news, you're censored sometimes. And even interviews, like they pick certain things, but we get to drive our own stories, which I really love. And we get to control the narrative of our own experience. And Kylie, I guess this won't be for you. Are there any plans to go beyond social media? Um, you guys have created a lot of awareness, but where do you go from here? Um, we've talked about a few different things. We've talked about maybe starting a scholarship for um, Black students or minority students at BYU. We've also talked about um, doing like festival kind of things, like get togethers in the community where people can just like, like we'll create our own safe spaces where we can have um I can't even think of all the words for it, but basically, yes, we plan to extend outside of social media and just to really show not only Utah, but just like the rest of the United States that Black students and Black people are here and that we do matter and our opinions and our future and our past, even all the things that have happened to us are important. So we definitely plan to extend. All right. Thank you, Kylie. And I think I got... Kylie's answer for the videos, but I'm not sure if Nate and Rachel answered what their favorite videos were. Um, for me, I'd have to say I definitely like the um, the ones where we're just having fun, you know, the um, ones where we're, we're just messing around or showing you know, our problems, things that we deal with or um, introducing ourselves. Another one of mine that was a favorite was uh, going around and asking people um, if they believe or if, what they knew about critical race theory and if they supported it, um, because a lot of people will immediately not support it without actually knowing what it's for. And so it's kind of interesting to point out that contrast. Okay, the question is, do y'all support critical race theory? No, I do not. What about you? Yes, I do. Okay, sweet. That's it. Yeah. Perfect, thank you. Okay, yeah. Um, I think I do. Cool, love it. No, I don't. Okay. So what is critical race theory? How about that uh, basically, um, the white people are to blame for everything. Um, and that may have been true at some point in history, but not right now. Um, so. Okay, perfect. Thank you for your answer. Yeah. Um, that's the teaching race in, for to school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good, 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 good. I mean, I guess I wouldn't be opposed to learning more about that. Perfect, thank you. Teaching that? Yeah. Perfect, thank you. Yeah. And Rachel? Um, I think... I love filming a lot of them. And I think what's interesting, like behind the scenes is there's different things that happen that we don't put in the videos that I like. Um, and I think one of the ones I really enjoyed was asking people if they would date someone who was bisexual. So the question is, would you ever date a bisexual person? I think I will. Yeah, totally. I, well, actually I have. Ah. Yeah. Love that. Love that. I am actually gay, so yes. <laughs> and I liked that video, not necessarily, not that I didn't like the video, but I liked what we, we ran into someone who was gay, we interviewed someone who was bisexual, and so like, I liked that we had an opportunity to talk to people who identified with the queer community, just because it gave us an opportunity to build community. And I really, really liked that and talk with them about their experience. And like, we stayed after and talked with them longer and uh, it was, I really, really liked opportunities like that, that we get to meet people who are really aware and feel like they are marginalized too. And that's happened with Kylie when we've interviewed people, when we interviewed 
that one girl who's in sociology as well. And so it's just, I really love when we interview people and they are grateful to meet us and to know us and to have someone that they can talk to. So I think that's my favorite part of interviewing is finding people that they are almost like relieved that they have met someone like us or can have engaged in a conversation like that with us too. And I also really enjoyed asking the men about um, how would they, would they date somebody who didn't want to stay at home? Be stay at home, dad. That'd be dope, right? <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, they gotta make that money, you know what I'm saying? Period. Yeah. I really enjoyed that video as well, because again, it just sparked good conversation afterwards with the people we were interviewing. Are you guys expecting a response from BYU? Is there a potential policy change because of your influence, do you think? Uh, we would hope that something comes of it. I mean, we're yeah. sharing our experiences at BYU in the hopes that people will see them and, and help to facilitate change because um, BYU is certainly very reluctant to do it on its own. They, you know, they've done a couple of things, but a lot of it feels very, um, I guess the best way I've heard described is performative. Not so much caring about the actual issues, but caring more about how it looks to the outside. So we're hoping that we can get some changes that aren't performative. That makes sense. And I would, I personally would love for some policy change. The hard thing is there's so many changes that need to happen here, no offense. But um, personally, I would love for there to be actual like dialogue with marginalized communities on a consistent basis. And like something that's documented and recorded because being a black person and knowing other people who are queer or other ethnicities, we are constantly sharing our experience with BYU administration. We're constantly having meetings with people with, and it's like, we're just going around in circles at this point, it feels like, and what is being done through us sharing these things. And so hopefully they can have a documented things talking about issues that we want things to be changed. And I would personally love to see things like a specific scholarship for black people from BYU to happen, I would love for them to really just constantly meet, meet with like an executive board of students who identify with marginalized communities to work on ways they can actually actively have policies that support communities of color and queer students. And Kylie, before we go, can you tell listeners where they can find your videos? Um, yeah, we have a TikTok page, Instagram, you I'm sure we have a YouTube channel podcast we have a ton of options for people to kind of listen and see what we're doing so if you go to our TikTok I know we have everything linked in there um yeah there's a ton of options for everyone also support us on Patreon the Menace Society all right well we want to thank the Black Menaces for coming on the program and sharing their story with us before we let you go do you have a song you want to share with the audience today Oh. Uh, the one that I picked the other day was just Come Down by Anderson Pack. That's always a good one. And uh, we don't have a plan on coming down. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming. We were super excited to have you on. Thanks for having us. Hey, Nick Burns, KRCL Radioactive, with a heads up that Radiothon is coming April 22nd. And you know what? Just like every six months, we could use your help. Keep the airwaves live, keep the airwaves local. May I recommend the new radioactive t-shirt designed by Gabriella Hunter.
Check it out and donate online, krcl.org, and our thanks. What do you want? Hey, we are back with the Voices Amplified edition of Radioactive. We'd now like to welcome Rockland Merrick to the show. She's the organizer of the powwow being held by the American Indian Student Leadership at SLCC, and we will be discussing the event specifics with her. Thank you for joining us tonight. We are happy to have you. Do you mind taking a minute to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a bit about the powwow you organized with the American Indian Student Leadership at SLCC? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me here. My name is Rockland Merrick. I am Navajo, Omaha, and Oglala Lakota. And like you have mentioned, I am the co-coordinator of the powwow that's happening here at SLCC. It's just a social powwow, really showing to Salt Lake Community College's um, people up in higher places that as an Indigenous students, we are still here. We are still thriving here at the campus and just making our voices be known. Yaat e shike do shidanea, Auckland Merrick Yinsha, Twadachi ni nishla, and Kesa Bay Naathlana Bashishchin, Bit Atni Dashache, Naathlana Dashanella, Akwate go e Astana Nashla, Aro Ahiahet Dashinast Antni. For those people who don't know, do you mind explaining? Um, what a powwow is and why it's so important. Of course. So a powwow is a social gathering. Uh, We come together in song and dance and it's open to everyone. So whether you're Indigenous or non-Indigenous, you're more than welcome to come out um, and enjoy the spirit that's out there, the the vibrations of a powwow. Um, Really, it's just uh, Indigenous communities coming together in song and dance. Okay, and this is the first one that's being held since COVID, correct? Yeah, yeah. So this is the first one we're having since 2019. Um, And prior to that, the last powwow we had at Slick, I believe, was back in 2005. So I'm really working hard with the people of ASIL, uh, the rest of the officers here, to try to bring that powwow back for good. How did it affect you and those around you not being able to gather for a powwow during the pandemic? For me personally, I think it was more of a mental thing. Um, and my kids, I was so concerned for my children. Uh, I, When I was pregnant with both of my children, I would take them to powwows while they're still in my tummy. Um, and I'd feel them kicking around in there while that we were listening to the drums. Um, and even when they were very young, my first daughter went to her first powwow when she was 10 days old. Um, And we did that up until she was about a year and a half. And then COVID hit, powwow stopped. And I was really scared as an Indigenous mother. I was scared that my children might lose touch with that aspect of themselves, their identity. I was terrified that they might be scared of the drums when they come back around. So for me personally, like a mental, it was a mental game, right? Of like, are my children going to be scared of this when we come back? Are they going to lose this part of their identity? Um, that's how it affected me the most. So drums are an essential part of a powwow. Can you explain the symbolism of drums? Absolutely. Um, from what I was taught, the drum is like the heartbeat of the people. So when you watch the dancers, you'll see that they are dancing on beat with that drum. 
And at a contest powwow, if you happen to overstep that beat or something, uh, that just means that the, the drum won and the dancer didn't. And so we really, as indigenous people, we listen to that drum. We respect that drum. It's the heartbeat of our people. Um, and that, that's how we respect it. That's how we approach that drum. It's, it's held very, very high in indigenous culture. And what is it like to be able to attend powwows again now? It is, it's amazing. It is awesome. I love it. It's rejuvenating. It fills my spirit up. I feel whole again. It feels great coming back, being around that community, feeling like you have a sense of community. Um, it, it's awesome. What is your favorite part of powwows? My favorite part of powwows is just coming back to the indigenous community, coming back to our powwow family relatives, and just being able to express our culture, our identity, um, and being able to share that with non-natives. I think that's one of the cool things about powwows is I get so many non-natives that come up to me and they thank me. Uh, They're so interested, so respectful, and it's great to know that I've made that impact somewhere. And that's something I really love about powwows. And what is something about powwows that you wish everyone knew more about? I wish that people knew that powwows are open to everyone. I cannot, uh, what's the word, amplify that enough. It's really open to non-natives as well. Uh, When I brought up that we are doing this powwow again here at Slick to some of my professors, uh, a lot of them were like, wow, that sounds really cool. Like, I, I want you guys, you know, that sounds fun for you guys. And I was like, no, I'm inviting you. I want to invite actually everyone in this class. I want everyone to come out and see what a powwow is, why we as indigenous people love this type of gathering and just offering that ex- extension to everyone. And on the website for this, it has um, powwow etiquette. Could you maybe tell the listeners a few of the most important. Yeah. So we put that on our website, just mainly for non-natives or just people who have not ever attended a powwow. So we do have etiquette. You do need to come there being respectful, um, having reverence there. There's a lot of protocols around uh, mainly our regalia, feathers and drums. Really, it's, it's just holding reverence and being respectful. I think just coming there with an open mind and um, listening to the MC, our MC there is going to tell you what you can and cannot be doing. He's also going to invite you. There's times when you guys can come out, uh, non-natives can come out to the dance floor and actually dance alongside with other indigenous people. So just really coming with respect and open mind and reverence is what I would really suggest to people who haven't been to a powwow before. What what do powwows mean to you as an Indigenous person? As an Indigenous person, I think powwows mean to me being able to show resiliency. Um, our ancestors fought so hard to be able to have what a lot of us Indigenous people have today. They faced many obstacles, many forms of abuse, uh, so being able to attend a powwow, it, in, for me, it feels like I am showing my real resiliency 
showing that I am still here uh, alongside with my indigenous brothers and sisters. So just being able to go out there and say, I'm here. What are some ways people can participate? Is there, can be, do you need volunteers, um, donations, anything like that? Yeah. So we are currently looking for volunteers. If you go to our ASL page, our Instagram page, it's AISL.SLCC. There is a website there. You can go onto that website and register to a volunteer. Um, we, we, we're looking for as many as volunteers as we can get. Um, as a committee, we do plan to take care of you guys for helping us out. And also you just get to be there and enjoy that. Um, so yeah, if, if you'd like to volunteer, please, please go to that website on our Instagram page, sign up and, you know, come help us out, please. And can you let listeners know where that's taking place and the time? Yeah. So we are doing this powwow on April 16th. It is going to be at our Taylorsville campus at the Lifetime Activity Center. So I believe our first grand entry we decided was going to be at uh, 12. And then our second grand entry will be at seven. So it'll be like an all day long event from about 12 to 10 p.m. And what is it like to manage organizing a powwow on top of studies and everything else? You said you have kids too, so I can imagine. Oh yeah, it is a handful. It's a handful juggling everything, being a mother, being a good student, being an officer. Um, it, it's a lot of work, but really rewarding. I have been able to meet with people that I've spoke to about putting on this powwow and they are so excited to hear that Slick's powwow is coming back. So it's really, really rewarding, hard work, but super rewarding. What are some of the steps that can go into organizing an event like this? There are so many steps, but the biggest one that we had faced here at SLCC was just getting the money to put on this powwow. Um, luckily, we had the help of an ACE grant. So that funded a lot of our powwow, but outside of that, looking for sponsors, looking for people who want to be the head staff in our powwow. And then also just presenting all of this information to non-natives. So, so they understand where their money is going. Um, especially if you don't understand a powwow, it, it could be something that's hard to wrap your head around. Um, but multiple steps. And can you explain what an ACE grant is? Yeah, so the ACE grant at Salt Lake Community College, it focuses on different cultural like events. So we actually, another person that received an ACE grant was the Pacific Islanders group for a luau. So it's really just a arts and cultural event grant. All right. Well, I'd like to thank Rockland Merrick for coming on the show and lending her voice to us tonight before you go Rockland do you have a song for us yeah I think it'd be really fitting to play a really cool indigenous tune the song is called old ways and it is sung by the bear creek singers old ways by the bear creek singers yes awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show thank you
I'm Ariel Witteberg, your host, and that's almost a wrap for us on Voices Amplified. But before we give the mic back over, we've got to give you pop culture nuggets. We've got members of the Voices Amplified team here ready to share what they've been obsessing over this week. Johnny? Yeah, I mean, I have been kind of pondering this whole question of uh, the Grammys happened about a week ago and uh, Louis C.K. won the Grammy for Best Comedy Album of the Year. And it's, it's just like a weird experience to see him kind of popping back up is that we kind of all remember him infamously being ousted away from the entertainment scene as part of like the Me Too movement. And now to see him kind of moving his way back in, it's just sort of like this awkward area be like, how are we supposed to feel about these men like coming back into prominent roles in the industry? It's just one of those things be like, there's like almost like this ticking time bomb of a conversation waiting to happen around this sort of event. So it, it has definitely struck my interest and I've got that kind of, that's been on my mind a lot this week. Uh, how about you, Ariel? What have you got on your mind? Well, I'm a lover of, I love true crime and there's a uh, show that's going to be airing on Hulu that is um, based on a crime that happened here in Salt Lake. The murder of Brenda Wright Lafferty and her baby daughter in Salt Lake Valley. And it has to do with the church and stuff. So I'm really excited to check that out. Plus, Andrew Garfield is in it, which my son, he loves Andrew Garfield because he played Spider-Man. So that show, what's it called, Ariel? Under the Banner of Heaven, based on the book by John Krakauer. When are people going to be able to check the show out? April 28th on Hulu. And that's our pop culture nuggets for the week, as always. On next week's show, we'll have more diverse stories from voices across the valley. Monday nights at 6 p.m. right here on KRCL 90.9. A special thank you to executive producer Laura Jones of Radioactive for passing the mic and giving the next wave of journalists a platform to share and connect with the beloved Salt Lake community. And tonight's team making all this possible, lead producer Johnny Tolstrup, associate producer Amy Kramer, booking producer Sean Stetson, digital producer Valine Karachevich, and as always, our advisor Marcy Youngcancio. Thank you for joining us on Radioactive every Monday night at 6 right here on KRCL 90.9. It looks great on you.